0: Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence, fires to the end zone, touchdown,
1: Alabama wins. Elliot. dodges the eye of this
0: national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence, a lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it, he's done.
2: Welcome into episode 132 of Press Pass. I am coming to you straight from California. Joshua is back in Columbus, Ohio. We're switching it up a little because we've been so extremely busy that we found a day on the weekend to record this. And there's also been so much going on, Joshua, that we thought we might as well wait a few days so that we could talk about everything that has happened the past week or so. So it worked yep. out to, to be pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what you get. We had conference media days these last couple of weeks and obviously some big news and notes coming out of there so it's probably better off to kind of get it on the back end but like you said me and you we don't let any uh we don't let any kind of moss grow on us. We don't let any, any grass grow under our feet. We're ready to go.
2: Exactly. We we were just chatting before we got on air technically and said we would rather be extremely busy and like juggling 18 things and have nothing to do at all. So that's just that's our personalities, deal. right? Okay. Well let's dive into the latest and Joshua coming fresh off of big 10 media days. And they switched it up a little, um, moving from mm-hmm. what was usually Chicago to Indianapolis. Is that correct? Am I right on that?
1: Yes. That's yes. I,
2: I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what happened this year. And so First and foremost, how was it actually having things in person, seeing players in person? um, What was the experience like?
1: Yeah, well, it was my first media day. Now, as a member of the media, I did it as a player in 2015. I was one of the representatives of Ohio State, and I also spoke at the uh, Big Ten Luncheon as well as one of the keynote speakers, which was an awesome experience. Flipped it to the other side, and I thought it was phenomenal, and typically, it is in Chicago. It's in a hotel and you're in the ballroom kind of doing your thing there. And it, it feels really stuffy and, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of tight. Whereas this year it was at Lucas Oil Stadium, which I think is the perfect venue simply because the Big Ten plays their conference championship game there every year. But also the added benefit that the national championship game is going to be played there. So um, it's one of the the great venues in all of sports and especially football, professional football. Um, but it was great to be there. I think the players really enjoyed it. They had an experience where um, they had jerseys in the locker room for the Colts and they had swag bags in there for them. They also had a uh, kind of just an area where the players could chill. They could play ping pong. They had snacks. They had massage therapists in there. It was the whole nine yards. They really rolled out the red carpet. And on the media side, we've talked about this before with your experiences going to Indy for the Combine, for example. Um, it's the perfect place to be in terms of uh, entertaining and hosting an event because the restaurants are phenomenal. You can walk everywhere. So from that regard, it was really good. Also got a chance to be face-to-face with coaches, me personally for the first time, but for everybody else in a long time. And it's it's really good because I feel like they were extremely candid and they were very honestly happy to be back and able to talk to media in person.
2: Okay, before we get into the meat of – the big 10 media days, who was your favorite coach beside coach day in person? Like just when you met him personality wise and you just were like, okay, like this guy's cool.
1: A few coaches come to mind. So okay. I've known Greg Schiano for a little while and yep. I think he's phenomenal. I, I just, I really enjoy his energy. I think he is very personable and uh, he's just, he's, he's got a, a presence that you can appreciate. Uh, PJ is exactly what you would expect him to be in person. (laughs) So it's great to see that level of authenticity. Um, Mel Tucker was one who really gripped me because in in his podium interview, or I guess his opening comments, press conference, whatever you want to call it, when he started talking about the culture he wanted to build in his program, his voice began to rise, his volume went up. And I really think it shows the type of coach that he can be. And especially last year where he had limited contact with this program as a first-year coach, he's the guy who has the ability to turn that place around. And then finally, James Franklin, coolest dude when you're off the record, like he was just fun to be around.
2: Gosh, you've got a lot of good coaches over there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like, yeah, the SEC has some personalities, but I'm glad that you got to kind of meet with these guys up close and personal and, and, you know, see a little bit more what they're like, you know, off the camera. And that's always the fun part of it, especially the the best part of our job, but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, and and we'll get into the SEC media days in a while because there were a lot of headline things that came out of that. But to you, Joshua, what was the few headlines that really shined here at Big Ten Media Days?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question that you ask, and I think there was kind of it was a lot of meat there uh, because mm-hmm. of how crazy last year was, and I think some of the newness of some of the coaches coupled with some of the veteran players that have been around for a long time, veteran coaches. Um, It's, it was really unique, but I think one of the main things is Minnesota is uh, at this point in the preseason unofficial, you know, big 10 poll or whatever, they're supposed to finish fourth in the West. And I think they're a lot better than that. Yep. And the reason I say that is because they've got a veteran quarterback who's played a ton of snaps. They've got the reigning big 10 running back of the year, They've got an offensive line with five returning starters, and they've got 10 returning starters on defense. And it was a defense that struggled a year ago, but they've got a ton of experience coming back. So I definitely like that squad. Um, when I look at Rutgers, I think they've become an interesting story in the Big Ten East mm-hmm. because uh, they had some success that they hadn't seen before. They won three conference games, and a lot of people are, will scoff at that, but that snapped like a 21-game uh, conference losing streak. And so there's definitely – this aura that they can be a legit contender in terms of the Penn States and the Michigans and the Indianas now who are kind of finishing there behind Ohio State. Sure. And Greg Sciano has recruited really well there. I heard, Um, yeah. Yep. And so it's a big deal. And then I looked to Indiana and Tom Allen's remarks were really interesting because he was asked the question of which task is harder? Building your program up to the point where they're at right now where they've got returning All-Americans and All-Big Ten selections Mm
0: -hmm. and,
1: um, you know, a a top 10 or top 15 national finish or whatever it was for them a year ago, or getting them over the hump to where they can be a Big Ten champ. And to kind of correlate it, that buildup to getting them to where they were a year ago is a longer process, but the harder process is getting them over that hump to where they can be a legit contender against Ohio State. And I thought it was really interesting. And they're going to have some battles because now they've got guys who, who are getting patted on the back that have never been patted on the back before. Um, yes. And so I think that's really cool there. And then it's always interesting just to kind of flip it to two different things going on, because in the West, you've got kind of a log jam where Wisconsin can win it. You feel like Northwestern has a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Iowa, and I talked about Minnesota, when you look at the East, you've got Ohio State. And the question always is, who's going to be the challenger? Can somebody dethrone Ohio State uh, four straight conference championships? And you look to programs like Penn State, which we've talked about, they had a struggle of a year, but they've got a returning quarterback. And I I think now um, they're in a position to challenge because it's not a weird COVID year. Uh, But the other program you look at is Michigan. And you feel like Harbaugh still (laughs) hasn't figured it out. Like, you get nothing. Yep. He was normal for a little bit. And then he started doing his Jim Harbaugh thing yep. where he's talking about his daughter climbing a Hill and making it to the apex, uh, which you you know, it just, mm-hmm. it leaves you wondering, does that program really have an identity right now and how long is he actually going to be the coach there?
2: Well, that was kind of what I was going to ask about because you had mentioned a lot of these other programs and, and the one that we hadn't really heard anything about yet was Michigan and Harbaugh. And of course, I feel like it's one of those things that they just kind of skirt over everything and ex- skirt over expectations. And at this point, I almost forget sometimes. Like when I think of the Big Ten, I start listing schools, and I know Michigan's there, but in in terms of like teams that I think about right away, they're like getting lower and lower on the list. Joshua,
1: yeah, that's exactly what's happening with them. Um, and I, I kind of broke this down during some of my analysis on the Big Ten Network, which. You can appreciate. I ended up doing on the first day seven hours of TV, and on the second day six hours.
0: Oh, they, dang, that's a lot! they got their money's
1: worth out of your boy um, on Thursday <laughs> and Friday. But the and I I went back. I said this earlier, but what I kept going back to is what is their identity as a program right now? Because yeah. nobody's—I'm not going to say nobody, but a lot of people are not taking them seriously. They haven't even been close to the realm of Ohio State even Penn state lately. And then you wonder like Josh Gaddis, who I think a lot of people think highly of as a coordinator, are they actually going to run his offense or is it still going to be a heavy Jim Harbaugh influence? And then you look at their defense, they fired Don Brown and then they brought in a coordinator who then took a job, I believe at like Tennessee or something. And so they had to bring in another coordinator um, who Jim Harbaugh snatched off of his brother, John Harbaugh staff with the Ravens. And so you got a question about who are they going to be defensively? And that's a really tenuous position to be in as a coach who is entering, you know, year six or seven or whatever it is for him. Um, A lot of questions still. And then one program we didn't talk about that I think is a notable name is uh, Nebraska and Scott Frost. And the fact that I don't know how many people based off of his comments at Big Ten Media Day, and his track record—only winning 12 games over three seasons at
0: Nebraska—actually
1: believes that the guy can get it done, and that's that is a shame. Um, and there's a new AD over there, Trev Alberts, who uh, went to Nebraska, but I don't think they played together, so they have a relationship, but it's not you know former teammates type of relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that goes one of two ways: is the new AD has some leeway, so he can hang on to a coach who's struggling and really kind of see it play out. Or the new AD wants to make a splash and they fire the coach who's struggling. Um, and I think this year, and not just the amount of wins that they have, but the the, the feeling around the program, people's thoughts and perceptions of that program is going to weigh heavily on Scott Frost's future.
2: Yeah, I mean, you went from having just an exciting moment when they hired him and the connection to Nebraska to just what has been complete and utter you know, disappointment. And it's just one of those things that I I, I don't know how much longer you could hold on to the hope part. And again, I feel like Michigan's kind of the same way, but it's just like Michigan is just continues to be like, Oh yeah, I guess we're just going to, you know, keep doing mediocre stuff. Um, and, And there's so much more pressure on Michigan sometimes because, you know, you're expected to compete with Ohio state every single year. So it's interesting those two programs and, and what their future looks like. I am going to actually—I know Ryan Day said some stuff about NIL that was noteworthy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and bring that into the third segment when we talk Perfect. about some noteworthy things from Media Day. So I'll wait to ask you about that, Joshua. But I did want to move into the SEC Media Days that happened previous, right before Big Ten Media Days, and and while I wasn't there, I was. Um, you know, in the mix. I hadn't gone on vacation yet. I'm on vacation right now. But so there was a lot of stuff going on during that week. And right when it was wrapping up, you had the big news that broke that Texas and Oklahoma are seriously considering leaving the Big 12 and they want to join the SEC. And Greg Sankey, it was media days were still going on. And Greg Sankey was straight up asked about it and he never denied it. Um, he clearly said that they weren't mm-hmm. going to discuss this right now, but everybody that you've kind of heard from, mm-hmm. there was no denials about it. Clearly this is a, a talking point that is, has, um, some legs underneath of it. So I just have to ask a lot you of legs. a lot of legs, like not one. It's not like a, it's a centipede on like steroids or something. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, but when yes. you heard this, I mean, were you shocked at all? I just felt like it came out of the blue in terms of the details. Like Texas and Oklahoma are saying, "We're going."
1: This is what's shocking to me: is how hard it is in the current setup, and obviously, this really upsets the apple cart for two teams out of the same conference to make it to the college football playoff. And with playoff expansion, that becomes a lot easier. Um, but as a four-team playoff, that becomes tough. And When you're Oklahoma, you feel like you're always in the driver's seat. You're in one of the Power Five conferences. Um, You're going to probably win the conference more times than you're not. So making a change like that feels drastic, although the Big 12 money is not the same as SEC or Big 10 money. Um, For Texas, though, this is what really blew my mind. I think it's them conceding the fact that they are not what they used to be. Sure. Because Texas is yep. a big boy that plays by its own rules. And you see, even at a place like Alabama, um, they play by the rules of the SEC. Mm-hmm. The, the, and and they, the conference makes it really easy for their members to play by the rules down there, but everybody does it. And so for Texas, I feel like this is a situation where maybe they're saying that they don't necessarily value their status or their brand as much as they used to. Like the Longhorn Network has to die when they move to the SEC. Yep. That's something that has to happen. And they don't get to throw their weight around the same way they did because you're not throwing your weight around against Texas Tech and against West Virginia. You're trying to throw your weight around against Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida. That ain't happening. So I think it's a really unique situation. Um, but from the people that I've talked to that are truly in the know about these things, mm-hmm. it's a done deal as of right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, it did. That's just incredible. And so I first want to comment on the point that you made about Texas. You're right. I feel like this is Texas kind of waving the white flag saying like, okay, we, we just we've admitted that we just can't do anything in the Big 12, right? We we can't get to where we want to get to. We are not a dominant um, team anymore. We we just aren't what we were 10 15 years ago, not even mm-hmm. close to it. And they're, ju- and they haven't made any strides towards it. I mean, they've tried different head coaches and it, it, it just, it's not working. And so now it's like, this is, this is the option, right? This is the, uh, the best option for us moving forward. And like you said, if it's, if it's already probably a done deal, I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. The question is Joshua is, is now first of all, how fast will this happen? And mm-hmm. second of all, does the Big 12 dissipate and teams are now going to go from maybe those other teams into the Pac-12, some into the Big 10? I mean, how, how does that happen? Because I, I can't see the Big 12 holding on with what they have.
1: Yeah, I think this is a, uh, a sooner than later situation yeah. from everything that I've been told. And obviously the timing has to be right. And, and, you know, there's a grant of rights for all the conferences and some of those probably have to be upset, but I'm I'm sure the schools are going to try to do it in a way that's not um, too harmful to the other schools and in the game of football. Um, Now, in terms of the teams that are left behind, so the Big 12 is a 10-team conference right now, Yes, and that would leave, if my math is correct, eight teams. Um, So these are the ideas that I've heard that have some real traction. The Pac-12 is probably going to make a push to try to absorb some teams. And geographically, it's not a bad idea for them to do that. West Virginia has had tried to join the ACC when the Big East dissolved. This was back in like 2010. And uh, Gordon Gee is at the helm. He's got some relationships that help. I believe the, um, the chancellor, the athletic director, or somebody at Clemson has a tie to West Virginia. Um, and so it seems like a natural fit for them to move kind of over there geographically. It brings back some really interesting games against Syracuse that they used to play in the big East against Boston college that they used to play in the big East and a rivalry that they had with Pitt. So I think that's, what's going to happen in terms of that, um, the big 10, and this is an interesting thought here, and I'm kind of, you know, just making this up as I go, but I'd be curious to see what some of the decision makers have to say about this. The Big Ten is fine where they're at. Their media contract is phenomenal, and there are some academic standards that they have to live up to. They also really value football more than anything else. So people talked about adding in Iowa State, which isn't a terrible ad, but you have to bring in, you know, a Kansas or a Kansas State or something like that, which they don't have the academic status of the Big Ten schools, and uh, Kansas only adds value in basketball, which I'm not too sure the Big Ten is worried about. So there is a legit chance that the Big Ten stays status quo unless, and this is me talking. I didn't hear this from anybody else. The Big Ten decides that they want to be the first national conference in college football.
0: Mm. And they
1: go after a USC, a Stanford, a Washington, a UCLA, or some an Oregon, right? Go after some Pac-12 schools because that conference is super weak right now. And what that allows is for the Big Ten to absorb them. They become national. They go Big Ten Atlantic, Big Ten Pacific. And then the Pac-12 can absorb some of the teams from the Big 12 to kind of fill that void. The other thing that – that was just me all conjecture, yeah, but I'd love to see it happen. Um, but the thing that can actually happen, and there, there's a big push for this right now, and I think conversations are in formative stages, is the American goes after some of the Big 12 teams.
2: I like and that. They,
1: try to absorb them to become a power five conference. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense because right now versus some of the brands that'll be left behind in the big 12, you like a Cincinnati, you like a UCF, you like a Houston, you like a Memphis as national contenders. And if you can pull in an Oklahoma state, or you can pull in a Baylor or you can pull in a Texas tech, you feel like that's something that could definitely bolster that conference into a stage now where they have a seat at the big boy table. So There are all these different possibilities. It's wild what's going on. Um, But Kevin Warren said this in in his press conference at Big Ten Media Days, but there's an inflection point right now in college football and the times are changing. And I think this is a big part of it.
2: Yeah. And I know that the uh, Pac-12 commissioner, the new Pac-12 commissioner, did comment about this. And while he did seem uh, there was some stuff that came out when this all erupted that he was like, Oh, I better get going on, you know, figuring out how to start adding teams. And I'm like, bro, you should have known. Like, this was something that was um happening. He needs to
1: worry about his own teams right now.
2: Right. I was like, you've got to be forward thinking to the next level if you want to elevate the Pac-12, and if you're going to stand a chance doing that. Uh, So he, he just said, you know, you know, we're working on. We're not opposed to obviously expanding. It's something that we're working on. It's something that we're trying to see what would be the best fit. So it's full speed ahead right now. And it's just now, you know, who's going to get in front of who to, to get the right teams in their conference, the right fit, because mm-hmm. it clearly looks like Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. Um, really quick. This just popped into my mind and I thought I'd ask you about it. Speaking of the PAC 12, because, you know, there's just the SEC and big 10, those are really the conferences to note when it comes to media days. I just feel like the most information comes out of there. The most meat is on the bone in those two conferences. And, you know, the PAC 12 has just been the team or the teams that we kind of rag on and because it's the storyline in itself, just because they've, Plummeted so much in terms of the conference as a whole. I thought it was. Um, I was a little uh, shocked in a way because I went to Washington State, and when this headline came out, and it was a headline uh, that their head coach Nick Rolovich decided not to attend Pac-12 media days in person because he straight out came out and said that he has not gotten vaccinated. And uh, he said it was for personal reasons, that he wasn't going to disclose. And I just wanted your thoughts on that, considering we're trying to get these players to get vaccinated. We're trying to get people, teams, to 80%. But you have the guy that's at the helm of your program, and he's straight out admitting that he's not getting vaccinated.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it, if I don't want to dive into personal reasons or whatever. I feel like a lot of this is guided by um, people's political backgrounds and also just really bad information. Like you can watch a YouTube video and just get trash information. Um, But I I think it's disappointing just because that's pretty much the only safeguard that we have right now Mm -hmm. against outbreaks. And and we're even seeing like places where vaccination numbers are not what they need to be. Vaccinated people are still getting infected with the virus. And so I think probably a more sensible approach to something as important as this is maybe to, you know, if you reach out to 10 healthcare providers Mm -hmm. and and six or seven of them told you not to get the vaccine, I think that would be a legit reason to get the vaccine. I don't think you would find out of any group of 10 random healthcare providers that seven of them would say, don't get vaccinated. Um, But if that's how he wants to operate, everybody's got free will.
0: I understand
1: that some people are, you know, they're not on the train right now, Um, Mm -hmm. but especially with something like this, I, I feel like the, the professional thing to do is probably to just suck it up and get the shot. Sure.
2: And if it's not something that affects you, I mean, I do know that there are people out there and again, we won't get too deep into this, but. I I don't know what the personal reasons are and it could just be beliefs or whatever, but sure. I do know there are people that have immune compromise, you know, yes. systems that can't handle vaccines. I totally get that too, yep. but it's just, it's just so crazy. Like when you're the head of a program and I guess it's cause he was just came out and was honest with it. There's probably other head coaches that haven't gotten the vaccine.
1: Yeah. Right? I mean, they probably, they probably told him to, cause I know what we had to do for big 10 media day. Like, they were pretty much, um, you know, if, if you didn't have the shot, you had to wear a mask. But I, like most of the people there, coaches, players included, um, yeah. have like Chris Alave didn't come because he wasn't fully vaccinated. And sure. so like, you know, that was just a personal decision. Um, you know, I'm gonna wait until I get my second shot before I'm out. Probably a little yeah. bit responsible. Um, yeah. There's a thought in my mind that Pac-12 probably told him because the West Coast is still dealing with some issues. My older brother Very lives much. near LA. He's yeah. vaccinated. He just got COVID. Um, and so they were probably like, if you don't have the shot, like you you should think twice about coming.
2: Yeah, no, that, that, that's a, that's a very good point. And that kind of brings us into our third segment of just some noteworthy things from this past week from media days and really quick on the threshold in terms of the COVID vaccine. I had mentioned that these teams are trying to hit 80%. And I know in the SEC, and I don't know if you have a number for me out of the big 10, Joshua, but there were. Okay, there were six of 14 SEC schools that have uh, reached the 80% mark. And guess who was like over the 80% mark? Georgia. Good old Kirby Smart in Georgia. I was a little bit surprised. surprised. Hi?
1: I said good for them.
2: Yeah, no. So he was like, it was was interesting hearing some of the coaches because many of the coaches brought it up in their press conference for Media Day. I mean, that was one of the things that they came out right away and said, you know, either we're at 80 percent or we're, we're getting close to it. So that was really interesting that that was a, a big talking point, because the, the fact of the matter is that SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has flat out said, like, if you don't have enough guys to play, like there's no making up games this year. Like you will forfeit the game and that will count as a loss. And for a lot of these teams, I mean, that could be a season on the line. Because that's yep. just how close everything is, competition-wise, in the SEC. So, I mean, do you think that that is like the move that needs to happen everywhere? Uh,
1: I I tend to believe that the you know the more vaccinations that guys have, the better. And I think there needs to be probably an incentive to make them get vaccinated. Um, and I guess the incentive is that you can play your whole season without jeopardizing losing games right. uh, because you're you're safer out there. So I like what they did. And I don't think that this should be a situation where you have, you know, built in weeks to make up matchups. Like we figured out kind of the, the best way to handle this thing. And most people aren't having these big issues like they were having before. Um, it was really interesting because Ryan Day for sure talked about how his team is getting close and that he's, you know, he's told his players, he's encouraged them to really look at all the information out there and make a an educated decision. James right. Franklin pretty much flat out said, like, in society, we all should make sacrifices for the good of society. Sure. And he said that his team has done a wonderful job with becoming vaccinated and the Penn State community at large has done a really good job, too. Um, and I'm one of those people, I'll flat out say it, like, I think that's the right thing to do. People should get the shot we're seeing yeah. now kind of with this delta variant floating around that majority mm. like vast majority of people getting sick are unvaccinated people um folks are still getting it but they're really not it's not they're not really getting that sick and they're not like you know it's not an outbreak type situation they're they're more isolated now yep um i'll get off my my soapbox on that one but i think it's really good to see some of these college programs really emphasizing because it's that important. Like they understand what's on the line and how crazy last year was. And I think everybody wants to avoid that.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. We just want some normalcy and we want to see college football games all played this year. And, you know, we get the, the non-conference games, which I I do, I kind of miss. And I I liked Mm -hmm. that they played the conference games last year, but I do kind of like those non-conference games. And so we want to make sure that we can, see all those games being played. Uh, the final kind of...
1: So let me jump in on okay, that non conference thing, though. Okay, go for Yeah, yeah. Because we missed out on so much of that. But I know. We've got week one, uh, Georgia and Clemson are playing. Yeah. In week two, you've got Ohio State and Oregon playing. Mm-hmm. In week three, you've got Notre Dame and Wisconsin matching up on a neutral field. And you've got Penn State and Auburn playing. Like, why wouldn't we want to see this?
2: Right? I mean, that's like the best – those are the games that you just listed I'm I'm super excited for. And yeah. and it just adds something to college football because, like, every year you see those teams play those other teams in the conference, and that's awesome, right? I think that's fun. But when you get to play teams, I always get, get excited for, like, so what's the future, you know, uh, home and away series. Cause you always get excited for like what, who teams are playing, who they're scheduling to play.
0: For um,
2: sure. those are usually games that we travel to, right. Or we'll make a trip to, if we have time to. So it'll be fun to see that. Um, the last thing I was going to mention, Joshua was a thing that got brought up clearly at media days was NIL. And I thought it was so funny because our boy, Lane Kiffin, of course, uh, when he had his media day, was talking to Paul Feinbaum on his show after his media press conference. And Paul Feinbaum likes to poke him about Nick Saban. And, and you know, those sure. two, two have a great, crazy, weird relationship, but Lane respects him. I mean, he he helped him get... I didn't get where Lane is right now, but it, he had mentioned he brought up the whole Bryce Young, Alabama's quarterback, and he is already reaching a, a million dollars in endorsements and hasn't even played a game yet for Alabama. And you could tell that Lane Kiffin was a little annoyed, I guess you could say, with just how crazy it is. Like Not that he was making that money, but that it was Nick Saban's quarterback, right? Yeah. Because he has a quarterback of his own who's played games and, and who has been pretty good for them. Uh and he was trying to say, you know, my quarterback's worth two million then. But I just wanted to, to get your opinion on on how some of the coaches reacted to NIL and uh in the Big Ten specifically.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna throw this out there. Um I think Nick Saban is lying his ass off. <laughs> um I don't I truly don't think that Bryce Young has hit that number. And sure. the, the only reason I say that is Nick Saban's the ultimate recruiter. So of yes. course he's gonna say that. Like yeah. I would inflate the numbers too. Why wouldn't you inflate the numbers? Yep. Um Pat Fitzgerald had the most remarkable take on name, image, and likeness at Big Ten Media Days because all the coaches got asked a question about it at their podium presser. And all of the coaches talked about PJ it was like, Oh, we're in Minneapolis, it's one of the greatest metropolitans in America. And Of course, Ryan Day said we're in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, you get a guy like Scott Frost who's like, we are the pro team in Nebraska. And Pat Fitzgerald came up there and said, you know, what do you want me to say? Like all the coaches are up here talking about they've got the best place for name, image, and likeness. He's like, oh, Chicago's the best city ever. He's like, you know, I I just want guys to understand the moment that they're in. A lot of guys are going to become professionals. They'll make a lot more money being pros than they will here in college and not to water down their market by taking bad deals. And yeah. I was like, here's a guy who's just honest about it. And I know he's going to do right by his players. He's been there for so long. Um, and and I've, me and Pat actually have a really good relationship. He tried to recruit me. He's a wonderful guy. Yeah. Um, but he is one of the just like most honest guys you'll meet when it comes to answering questions like this. And so I love that take where everybody's trying to pump it up. Everybody's trying to use it as a recruiting tool. And Pat's like, I want our guys to graduate, and I want them to become pros, and then yeah. we can talk about what kind of money they'll make doing that.
2: Yeah, it, he's he's phenomenal, and I I can't believe I'm glad he hasn't left for the NFL or you know left know. for a bigger program, right? I mean, it is it he's, is the true. Don't you think that that is though? That's why we get too caught up in like, there's always something better on the other side. Yep. Well, why can't you just be happy with? Where you are with the program, you've done a lot of good things for. You're successful. Yeah, maybe you're not going to win the national championship. And if that's like your ultimate goal, maybe you have to go somewhere else. But he seems genuinely happy with teaching men to be men, teaching yes. young boys to be men. You know, yep. not it's not just about football. He, he is yep. literally happy with what he's doing as a, a mentor, a coach, all of it. And that's what I think is so great about that guy, because he yeah. he makes it a point to say it's OK to be in one
0: place.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he played there, so he understands what that school is about. I think he's a perfect coach for that school. But I also think he's great for the Big Ten and college football altogether. Me too. And it's it's so wonderful because his comments were not at all to minimize name, image and likeness. It was really no. to put it in perspective that everybody's trying to jump on a bandwagon early on. And here mm-hmm. he is. Like, let's be honest about this situation. Let's try to find a way to get our guys paid, but not lose sight of what's in front of them, which is super cool.
2: Yeah, I, I love that. It, well, it sounds like you had a blast at Big Ten Media Days. I'm, I'm actually jealous. I'm like, I wish I could have went to Media Days. It was just such a cluster that week. We didn't, we didn't have enough time to to send us all down there, but we had one of our correspondents go. Uh, the fans. I, I did want to ask: Were there fans allowed at Big Ten Media Days?
1: No, it was just media and uh, gotcha. you know conference personnel and everything, but it was a great time.
2: Yeah, sounds like it. Um, did you get a steak, my friend? I know that we were talking about food before in the last podcast when you were prepping for this trip. Did you get a good steak in?
1: Got some uh, steak, got some libations. We went to Capitol Grill the first night and then mm. Harry and Izzy's, which is the sister restaurant, to St. Elmo's the second night. So it was wonderful. Um, had a great time. Got to break bread with some awesome people, too, which is always fun.
2: That is amazing. Well, I know you're you're busy. I'm busy. It's getting to be that time where we are going to have so much stuff to talk about again, because it's just been a somewhat quiet summer. And so this is really just the, the start of things revving up is the media days. And we're glad that we got to collaborate on this and, and bring some news and noteworthy subjects to you guys. And hopefully if you don't subscribe you subscribe. It's easy. Just you know, go there to iTunes. You can click on the subscribe, give us a rate, give us a review. Follow us on social media. I'm at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter and Instagram. Joshua, give them your handle.
1: At RIP underscore JEP on Twitter and Instagram as well. Also, I'm going to get my TikTok up and running, so give me a follow there.
2: Wait a second. You're doing a TikTok?
1: I'm going to start doing day in the life videos. I want people to see the behind the scenes of this little media industry we're in.
2: Okay. So I, I think I'm going to have to make a TikTok just so I can like follow you on TikTok.
1: Yeah. And you'll make appearances on there too. Cause I'll put this as part of the day in the life. So
2: sweet. I love it. Well, I appreciate uh, you joining me, my friend today. I appreciate you guys joining in, listening and continue to listen, share with your friends and family. If they like college football, this is definitely a great podcast. We have it all here and we're just starting to get geared up for a brand new season. So again, have a great, uh, next week and
0: be safe out there.